0: Welcome to the Outsiders Podcast, where we discuss race, justice, and Jesus. Uh, I am your one of your hosts, Tyler France, and I'm along with my
1: friend, my buddy, Neil Sandlin. What's good, brother? What is up? Oh, you know. Now we're talking about sports. I mean, I, I yeah. you know, I know you love sports too, but I felt like we were really in your wheelhouse with the the music thing the hip-hop, last yeah, time. Yeah. And uh man, sports is my wheelhouse, man. Especially this is your the thing. basketball is you yeah. know, we love basketball around here. And uh, we always try to work it in as much as possible. <laughs> you know, we, we try. We do try. It's shout been it out. a few weeks since we were doing this. You know, our plan was to really do get all four of these in this series done in, in February, but we've had to push it back because Tyler has been coughing like crazy for three weeks, pretty much. <laughs> I've had a lingering
0: cough where you know our our offices are pretty close connected Oh yeah and yeah. Neil just sends me a text And he's like Dude there's no way you can yeah, you can't today. You can't record today I, <laughs> I'm in my office for two weeks straight Like so. every
1: ten seconds Tyler's coughing I'm like we, There's no way we can We can record today So we've so had to push it we're back we're gonna get through this one yeah. Technically this is a part of our Black History Month uh, celebration Even though it's You know March 16th Is when we're <laughs> recording this But it's part of our Black History Month celebration And uh, just a reminder Celebrate Black History All year round We're in there March And we're, we're still doing it We're still doing and, our series uh, And we are gonna be Dealing with (laughs) with sports today, and you know, tomorrow starts March Madness, yeah. And March Madness, for those of you that don't know, this is the NCAA Division I college uh, basketball tournament, Mm. and the girls are playing as well. Um, but for years, this has been one of the best weekends of my life. Mm. And we started, man, I can't remember how many years ago now, just me and my two brothers, and my dad, and my brother in law, we would just get together eat and watch basketball for three days straight yeah um, what's been really cool is that my son who's now 16 this is his like third year to be a part of it once he became a teenager we yeah. let him be a part of that weekend who's also a baller uh yes he also is a basketball junkie but um, sometimes even letting him skip school on this first yeah. weekend yeah but uh, it falls during his spring break so he's probably uh, bummed that's, that' that's it's, good parents you can't I, yeah. I like that oh yeah I mean you gotta <laughs> you gotta skip school every once in a while to spend time with good old pops go. and his and his dad so um but what what is amazing when I think about March Madness and I think mm-hmm. about how long I've been watching NCAA basketball and especially yeah. the, the the tournament. Is that the game that I'm watching today is so vastly different than the game that my grandparents watched. Oh, absolutely. My granddad watched a, a version of the game and my great granddad watched a version of the game that was radically different than the game that I'm watching today. Yeah. And so much of that can be attributed to the black people that have entered into oh, 100%. athletics and yep. the way they've changed the game. I mean, yeah. there were there were guys that that came in and have come into college basketball that changed the way we dribble mm-hmm. changed the way that we shoot mm-hmm. changed the way that we wear our uniforms. Right. Changed the way that, I mean, the, just, just the, even the swagger of the sport, yeah, the like music the playing way in you, the arenas, yeah. Oh, it's, yeah. you know, all of, all of March madness mm-hmm. has been, um, so massively impacted for the better, for the better by <laughs> black athletes. Absolutely. And so it's just a reminder to me as we get into this set, you know, this episode today, uh, that tomorrow will be just another great celebration of what black people have brought to the sport of basketball, which yep. obviously is my, you know, one of my greatest loves is the game of basketball. And, yep. and, and so it's, it's exciting to see the impact. It's like when we've talked about watching the Super Bowl, mm-hmm. seeing the impact, you know, watching this tournament is going to just, you know, seeing the, the, the African-American coaches on the sidelines, seeing the predominance of uh, African-American uh, basketball, you know, student athletes and, or I should call them athlete students, maybe <laughs> instead of student athletes. Uh, just a wonderful reminder. And yeah. I, I I love that. Two things that I'm passionate about is race and basketball and Mm -hmm. and those interlock Mm. um, as we're going to talk about today as we get into this last and final of this series racial representation. Black History Month uh, (laughs) racial representation and diversity in sports so we've done uh, movies and television we've done music and today we're going to get in sports so uh, I hope that you are excited if you don't love sports at least love the history yeah still Uh, listen still listen don't just turn us off right (laughs) now still listen racial representation and diversity in sports Now, just want to give you a heads up. I don't know what, if you're listening to this, I don't know what your favorite sport is. Yeah. Okay. So you may be listening to this and you're like, lacrosse is my favorite sport. Oh, man. We're not talking about the history of black people in lacrosse today. <laughs> okay. That's not going to happen. Carlton uh, from Bel Air. You that know, was, hockey, uh, hockey may be start. your uh, favorite sport. Probably not going to talk about that today. What we are going to talk about is what is considered the big three in the United States. Right. Football, basketball, baseball. Yep. And really, the money and the numbers indicate that they're kind of in that order. Yeah. It's the NFL, right. it's the NBA, and then it's Major League Baseball. Major yep. League Baseball used to be American pastime that right. has given complete way to the NFL. The NFL is the biggest sport in um, in the United States, right. bar none. It's not even, It's not even close. So I think that's where we probably ought to start. Right now in the NFL – around 70% of all the players are black mm-hmm. and we see that and obviously it jumps off of the screen at us we, we notice yeah you know a lot of black people on this field right now that hasn't always been the case yeah um, if you're young you're used to just seeing that and right. it's you may think well that's just always been the way that it was but there was a time when black people were left out of the league altogether. Completely. There was a time where the two major football leagues in the United States had no black people playing. Right. Just white people. Um, and it, it wasn't it, that long ago. I mean, no. it, it wasn't like 300 years. Ago, yeah. You know what I'm saying? And, like, it was... And, and in fact, the leagues were technically integrated. Yeah. Right? But by, right. by the rules, they were integrated. Yeah. But there were no black players in the NFL and the and the other league that we'll talk about as well from 1933 to 1945. Yeah. So even though the Less league than 100 was years ago. <laughs> yeah even though the league right. was supposed to be integrated yeah it wasn't
0: yeah some of your grandparents would you yeah know, like under like know this yes uh, that's they, in, in their time
1: yeah they they some of your grandparents watched an NFL with no black people in it yep now. It was basically because of a gentleman's agreement. Mm. The owners in the NFL basically decided we're not going to let black players in this league. And by gentleman's agreement,
0: you mean like an unwritten kind of yeah. rule between Just owners Just an a, and... a,
1: a unwritten rule that we, we kind of look at each other and maybe we meet in the, the, the a back room of a restaurant right. and we basically have this, this discussion. Yeah. So it wasn't in the rules. Right. Because it the, can't be, right? It, it couldn't be, but it the could owners, be kind of an
0: unspoken yep. understanding between owners and, uh, yeah. yeah.
1: So now all of this begin all of this began to change when the Cleveland Rams wanted to move to Los Angeles and become the Los Angeles Rams. Mm. Uh, a lot of the information that that you're going to hear about is now being documented in a book written by Keyshawn Johnson called "The First Four. Keyshawn Johnson was, um, he played for USC, got drafted, played in the NFL for years. Actually, he was he was on the Cowboys for a while mm-hmm. here in Dallas. And um, he has written this book called The First Four. So, so he details how a journalist really was the the spark that changed all this. So what what the Cleveland Rams wanted to do is move to Los Angeles— and be publicly use the publicly funded Los Angeles Memorial, Memorial Coliseum. So they wanted to use the tax funded building, mm-hmm. right? And this journalist said, well, if we're going to let them do that, mm-hmm. let's have some let's have some requirements. Let's have some change that needs to happen. He was a former athlete himself. His name was uh hey, uh Halley or Haley yeah. uh Harding mm-hmm. he, um he led the charge to integrate the team. Um th- this is what he said. They felt like, oh, this was gonna be some rubber stamp. Yeah, great. Rams wanna move to LA, play in the Coliseum, sure, go ahead. But Harding and, his and, colleagues. and some of his colleagues yeah. said no. That's not happening. It's yeah. not going to happen if, right. you, if you keep things this way. Mm-hmm. And, and here was the basic push by Harding and his colleagues. This was right after... The war. World War II. Yeah. Black men had gone overseas and sacrificed everything mm-hmm. to protect this nation. Yeah. From Hitler and the Japanese. Right. right. And, and <clears throat> so now they come back and they got to deal with Jim Crow? Right. Like they, they come back and they got a deal where we can't even play professional football. And, and so Harding and his colleagues, when they met with the, the commission that Mm -hmm. was in charge of the Coliseum, this was their push. This was their emotional um, point. These people have served. Why in the world are we preventing them from it, from all of the rights that they actually fought for themselves? So, in 1946, one year before Jackie Robinson, mm-hmm. you know, famous Jackie Robinson broke baseball's color color barrier, Kenny Washington was signed by the Rams. The first black NFL player was signed by the Rams. He actually pushed to get another one of his UCLA teammates, Woody Strode, on the team. Mm-hmm. So, Woody Strode and... Kenny Washington became the first two NFL players to sign with the LA Rams. Around the same time that was happening, the NFL had a rival football league. Now mm-hmm. that, that's weird to us today because we're like, well, no, this it's the NFL. That's right. all we have. A A F C. But they had the, the AAFC. Right. Now we have
0: the in the NFL, it's NFC AFC. Right. But but then AFC, they have the AFC was its own
1: thing, its own league. Right. They integrated by hiring a a coach named Paul Brown, mm-hmm. who in turn signed two black players, uh, Marion Motley and Bill Willis, to the Cleveland Browns in 1946, hmm. um, this coach Paul Brown would later later say that he wasn't trying to make civil rights history. He was trying to win football games. Right. He was trying he was to get like, the best players. Right, I want the best players. I'm, <laughs> yeah. I'm not trying to make some kind of statement here. Right, I want the best players. Right, I want to get the, the 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 best football players that I can find. Right, and other owners knew some black athletes were the best, but they weren't willing to do it. Right, and he he wanted to win. Yeah, and so <laughs> he did it. He just stepped up and he he did it because this was going to help him. Win. Win football game. And the interesting thing is, it did. Yeah. They won four straight Ooh. championships in the AAFC. Now, what happens is, if you're, listen, if you are a racist owner at the AAFC mm-hmm. and you don't want to hire black people because you're a racist, there's one thing that you love more than racism. Right. It's money. Winning. Well, it's money, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah. So yeah. all of a sudden, they're like, well, wait a minute. If he's hiring the black people and the black people are helping him win, and they're winning. Maybe mm-hmm. we need to do the same thing. Right. Um and so I'm going to put a, I'm going to put aside my bias. Right. To to, to, to win, win and games. make money. Yep. Um and so this is what this is what ended up happening. Uh both of them made it to the Hall of Fame. Washington and LA played just three seasons with the Rams before he got hurt. Mm-hmm. And he was a little bit older anyway, and so he ended up retiring. Strode only played one season, but stayed in L.A. to act in Hollywood. He became huh. he became an actor in Hollywood. Wow. The book that Keyshawn Johnson writes, he has an interview, an unpublished interview from Strode, where he said that this time in his life integrating in the NFL was the low point of his life. Hmm. Because of the hatred yeah. and the vitriol right. and the wickedness that they experienced, right. um, if you've
0: seen the Jackie Robinson movie uh, with Bozeman, right, like you you get kind of a feel of that, yeah. like how much you know stuff yeah. he went through,
1: and yeah, or even the the movie Glory Road, Glory where they Road. talked yeah, yeah. about the the first um, basketball basketball team mm-hmm. that all five starters were black mm-hmm. and they won the NCAA championship, yep, but. Listen. Listen to some of the things that happened. So there was an instance in the first year of the Cleveland Browns where the coach Paul Brown kept Willis and Motley home from a game in Miami, Miami, because they received death threats. Yeah. So he just he made Gosh. them stay. You can't come play. We're scared they're going to kill you. Right. If you come to Miami and play. Yeah. Opponents would stick razor blades. That's so crazy. In man. their gloves and in their tape to try to slice and, and cut up these black players. Yeah. They would step on them. They would kick them. Just Idiot. so much illegal stuff. If
0: you've ever played football, that, that stuff, I mean, obviously not razor blades and stuff like that, but cheap shots are done all the time under the right. radar, kind of stepping on people or right. whatever else. Um, so you can imagine if you're the only black person or if you're one of the only black people and those players don't like that, the way they treat you, Right. Oh, oh my gosh.
1: Yeah. And in spite of all that, they still kept playing. These guys kept playing. Wild. Keyshawn Johnson in his book, he he kind of writes the end, and here's what he says. I would say, first of all, it's heart and guts and perseverance. Yeah. I couldn't do it. Hmm. But it says a lot about them to do to to be able to do what they did yeah. for something we call the greater good. You can't tell the story of the National Football League without telling the story of these four men. That's crazy. That's so good. Um, yeah. None of these forgotten firsts are still alive today, but all of them, as we mentioned a few weeks ago, all of them were honored mm-hmm. um, by their families being at the Super Bowl, and L.A. City Council declared that Sunday Kenny Washington yeah. Day. Yeah. Let's move to the NBA. Woo-woo. Now, uh, the NBA – The first African-American players in the NBA um, all came basically in the same year. They came into the league in 1950. Here's, Here's who they were. Earl Francis Lloyd, Charles Henry Cooper, and Nathaniel Clifton. All of them went to historical black college and universities, and then they all got drafted the same year into the NBA. So let's talk about Lloyd first. Lloyd was 6'6". He was born in 1928 in Virginia, graduated from high school there in 46. He enrolled in West Virginia State University in 1946, got a degree in the Bachelor of Science in Health and Physical Education in 1950, and at 21 years old was the first player ever – well, no, he wasn't the first player picked, but he was picked right. in the ninth round. Now, back then, the we, NBA – We don't have nine rounds We anymore. got two yeah. now, but yeah. they, they had nine or ten back then. Right. He became the first black player to ever play in the NBA with the Washington Capitals mm. – he played for nine seasons with the Syracuse Nationals. Seventy-sixers now. Yep, became the Seventy-sixers. Um, Lloyd became the first full-time African American head coach in 1970 mm-hmm. when he coached one year for the Detroit Pistons. So this who, guy who was, was kind of still the Detroit Pistons. Yeah, this this guy's <laughs> iconic. Yeah, I mean, he, this he's iconic. First right. player to play, but first you know black coach, full-time African American black coach. Mm-hmm. Um, I think um we had Bill Russell was a player coach mm-hmm. at one point but this was the first full-time black coach in 1970. Uh another guy was Charles Henry Cooper, 6'5", born in 26, um graduated from Westinghouse High School in Pittsburgh and he too went to West Virginia State University uh in 1944. He however transferred and he um in 1950 he actually signed with the Harlem Globetrotters. Mm-hmm. Um, he didn't go directly to the NBA. He signed right. with the Harlem Globetrotters and played, you know, went around and toured and did that kind of thing for a while. And if you know anything about the Harlem Globetrotters, they're
0: you know from Harlem, obviously, but right. they're they're kind of a. Uh... A team that is black and, right. and that did some amazing things. Like, yeah, I don't they, think that, their, I don't think they ever had a white their, person. You know, their handles and stuff—they were revolutionary for the yep. game too. Yeah, uh, he
1: too was drafted in 1950. He became the second African American drafted. This time by the Boston Celtics, he was picked 14th overall, mm. first round, 14th. So he he made, was the highest
0: picked at that time. Yes, right? and yeah. he
1: made his debut on November 1st, 1950.
0: Not long ago,
1: one day <laughs> after Lloyd. Yeah. So they drafted, they played the same season, but uh-huh. Lloyd gets the privilege of being the first one because <sighs> his first game was scheduled the day before. Be. So he didn't get to do it. He right. he played for the Celtics. He was traded to the Milwaukee Hawks. He ended his career with the, the Fort Bucks. Wayne Pistons. Uh-huh. Um, and afterwards, he, he went back to school and got a master's of social work from the University of Minnesota. And then lastly... <laughs> Uh, Nathaniel Clifton, 6'8", hmm. uh, born in 1922 in Arkansas, moved to Chicago at eight years old. He reversed his name, uh, switched his name up when he got older. Um, graduated in 1940. From 1942 to 1943, he was at Xavier University. Mm-hmm. Um, only, played one, only played one season in college. He, too, signed with the Harlem Globetrotters. Huh. He became the third African-American player to play in the NBA contract, making his debut three days after Cooper when he played for uh, the New York Knicks. So Lloyd played on on October 31st, Mm -hmm. Cooper played on November 1st, and Clifton played um, on November 4th. At the age of 34, Clifton was the oldest player in the NBA to be named first-team All-Star. Mm. Uh, in 58, he was traded to the Pistons, uh, played there there for a year. But then he left the team, and he played for a few startup leagues uh, in Harlem and Chicago. Um, he retired in 65. He has been included and inducted into the Black Athletes Hall of Fame. Um, Cooper died in 84. Mm. Um he was inducted after his death into the Naismith Memorial Basketball Hall of Fame as well. Um, and then Lloyd made it to the Virginia Sports Hall of Fame. He died in 2015, but he too, in 2003, was inducted in the Basketball Hall of Fame. So Ooh. these guys have been rightly recognized for their impact in basketball being the first, and now Major yeah. League Baseball. Yep. Now, you would expect me to go to Jackie Robinson here. I think that's where right. most people would expect you to go. Like, let's let's talk about Jackie Robinson. Yeah. But most of you know Jackie Robinson. We talked about him in one of our podcasts before. I'm actually going to go way back. Let's go back.
0: Way back. Way
1: back. In 1878. That's way back, brother. Way that's, back. A man far. by the name of John W. Budd. Now, here's what's interesting. What was going on? in eighteen seventies and the eighteen eighties and the eighteen nineties, reconstruction. Mm-hmm. So we were trying to rebuild the country back properly. Mm-hmm. So what was allowed was black people into all areas of society. Right. Well, John W. Bud Fowler played his first game with a a team in Newcastle, Pennsylvania, and he is credited as the first player to compete on an all-white baseball team. So way before Jackie Robinson. Right. Now, he was born uh, in 1858, and the Mm -hmm. reason why he got named Bud was because that's what he called everybody. (laughs) He literally called everybody Bud, so he ended up getting the nickname... Bud. Yep. He began to play baseball in Cooperstown, New York, where he grew up. He learned to play baseball there. He loved it. The earliest undoc, uh, earliest documented account of Fowler playing in a game was April of 1878, when he pitched for the Chelsea- in Chelsea, Massachusetts. Uh-huh. Over the next few seasons, Fowler played with the Worcester in Worcester in New England Association, Malden of the Eastern Massachusetts League. Um, He played in Ontario and for the Petrolia uh, Imperials. Now, what was interesting about baseball back then is there wasn't Major League Baseball didn't exist yet. Right. So you had all of these leagues everywhere. Mm -hmm. Um, And so he played in these different leagues, but Uh for all white teams. Right. Wow. Uh, He eventually became an everyday player playing mostly second base. um, And he played on all white teams up to 1899. That's 21 years, y'all. 21 years playing on all-white teams. Wow. Moses Fleetwood Walker was also a black player who played in a major league as a catcher for the Toledo Blue Stockings of the American Association in 1884. He had an Irish father and an African-American mother Mm. who had been a slave. Wow. Now, here's what happened. And you're like, okay, well, this is great. We got two black people playing in leagues. This is wonderful and great. And Progress. (laughs) This was happening in Reconstruction. where we were trying to do it right. Right. Then we had Jim Crow. Yep. And once Jim Crow hit, once the the separate but equal doctrines hit, which is ridiculous, but teams began banning black players. Mm -hmm. The only black players that were allowed to play were those who were under contract. They could stay with their teams until their contract was up, and then they were let go. Yeah. Other white leagues unofficially banned all black players. Right. So... The racial barriers at the time. What's interesting is they were only directed at black players. Right. If you were a Native American, you could play. Yeah. But if you were black, you could not play. So what some teams attempted to do is some teams attempted to pass off black people as, as other Native Americans. <laughs> and so then when it was found out that it you know that wasn't the case, they were eventually fired. Um, and so they. So it's tragic because so much, like we talked about with Reconstruction, yeah. where where senators from the South were uh-huh. were black senators, and and so you had all this wonderful movement happening, but mm-hmm. Jim Crow stifled all of that. Yeah, and so from the from eighteen ninety nine until nineteen forty seven, no black people played Major League Baseball. Yeah, can, can you imagine? Just I mean. Getting
0: to that level of sports, right? Getting to the professional level. You're that good. You're that good. You've worked that hard. You've yep. you know done all that you can, and something like this
1: happens, and now you are banned right. from your life's work. Right. And that's <laughs> and that's why they created the Negro leagues. Right. Because you had these great athletes who wanted to continue to play baseball, and so they created their own leagues. Yeah. Um. And nobody crossed over from the Negro league to the major to Major League Baseball. Until Jackie Robinson did it in nineteen forty-seven,
0: which he's he, he's mostly credited for, like for the for the
1: random person on the street you ask, right. like you know, hey, who's the first black right. person? They're and that's because Jackie he Robinson. broke the color barrier of the MLB, right, of Major League Baseball. There you go. He yeah. wasn't the first black player to play on white teams right. in in a, on a major league team, right? But Major League Baseball as an organization didn't exist back then. Yeah, so he was the first that. Stepped, uh, you know, from the Negro Leagues into Major League Baseball as an organization, and then of course he just kicked open the door yeah. for minorities to to come and play. And so when you look at, praise God, he did. Yeah, and when you <laughs> look at, you know, basketball, baseball, football, and you see the impact that these initial guys, and you got to remember these initial guys, it wasn't like you know they came in the league and everybody cheered for them. Right. These guys came into the league and they were hated. Oh yeah. These guys, these guys came into these leagues and were. Abused. We're abused. Yeah. You know, physically, emotionally, mentally, spiritually abused. But as Keyshawn Johnson said, but doing something for the greater good, knowing I can have an impact that later generations won't have to deal with the stuff I'm dealing with. That's heroic. And that's what these first. That's why it's important for us to know these first and honor them as first, yeah. knowing the impact they have had on what you're going to talk about next, which is modern, modern sports and the representation and diversity that we've seen in it.
0: All right. So ever since that barrier was broken, uh, minorities, especially African-American inclusion, has skyrocketed in Absolutely. sports. Uh, So in 2022, we're talking modern, so that's nothing more modern than 2022. (laughs) Uh, 74% of the NBA and 68% of the NFL is made up of Mm -hmm. African-Americans. Major League Baseball is still at an all-time low 7%. Right. uh, But I don't know how much of that is discrimination as much as it is baseball is not as much part of the culture. Yeah. as some of the other major sports are.
1: Yeah, and I and and what I have read and studied on this is that the influx of players from Latin America mm-hmm. um where baseball is massive, yeah. you know. Um their the influx of them into the Major League Baseball Absolutely. has also played a huge role in that number being a little bit lower. Yeah, But um also you got to remember that that 7% is American, like United States of right. America black. American. Yeah. Right, because some Latinos are black, like they're they're, they're <laughs> yeah, yeah. dark dark skin, most definitely. But they're considered you know, from Latin America, and not from you know United yeah. States, not African American.
0: And that being said, I mean, there's been some amazing African American baseball stars, oh my like goodness, like some of the best in the world to ever even grace yeah. the sport, absolutely uh, throughout the years, are, are black, and so yeah, um. King Griffey Jr. Right, Sammy Sosa, Willie Mays. Willie Mays. A a more current star would be uh, dudes like Marcus Simeon, uh, who's recently broken records for the kind of year he's having. Yeah, Uh, and so all that to say, this kind of black excellence inspires more and more people uh, and creates more representation
1: in every sport. Yeah, because black excellence inspires black excellence. Yeah. Like, you know what I mean? Like it inspires other black people to be excellent. Just, just like anything else. Like when you're inspired by somebody, you strive to be like that person. So, I mean, it only makes sense. Absolutely.
0: Uh, it'd be very hard to go back to Michael Jordan's prime, uh, or even now and find someone who intellectually does not recognize his greatness. Yeah. Like I can't help you if you don't think
1: Michael Jordan's great. Right. Yeah. Uh, like, we're not friends. Like there's <laughs> no there's no point in me and you being friends. If yeah. That's the case.
0: And, and uh, he's he's considered by many sports polls to be the greatest of all time at sports in general. Yeah, he's the greatest athlete of all time, not just basketball. Yeah. Uh, this means because he was so excellent at his sport the world took notice and he became the face and pinnacle of sports. And so, uh, kind of going back to where you were talking about with, you know, the first black athletes, like those guys had to be the bet. Like they had to be so good to to even get drafted ninth. Right. Or, you know, to make it at of the ground. Yeah. They had to be so good to even be considered. Right. Um, and so that's just something to keep in mind whenever we're going through these people, because it's like, you have to be better. Right than than the usual, and so because of this greatness, Jordan had an influence that brought black culture to the mainstream. Oh yeah, uh, especially with the rise uh, in popularity of hip hop around yep. the same time we talked At about the nineties music, man. Um, and and the black culture in the nineties became wildly popular, and uh, much of that was due to man the change.
1: Of course, the nineties—that's when I was in junior and high school. Right. right. In the nineties. Yeah, you could speak on this and watching what was happening in 92 when professional basketball players could play in the Olympics yeah watching Jordan's impact at the Olympics was insane he was the greatest athlete there was in no the Olympics. bigger athlete yeah. at the Olympics than Michael Jordan <laughs> right and and what was so crazy about Jordan is i mean everywhere he went there was just this group of people that yeah were always wanting the yelling, Michael, 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 everywhere he went. And so I, and and of course there's been documentaries made about the dream team from 92 and you watch those and you realize the impact that Jordan was having on sports around the world. At that time, everybody wanted to be like Mike. Yes. I mean, and, and so around that same time, you know, Michael signed with Nike. He mm-hmm. was originally going to sign with Adidas mm-hmm. and his dad convinced him to take one more trip to go meet the reps at Nike. And he signed with Nike. Yeah. When they began creating Jordan as a brand, not official <laughs> brand, but like Michael Jordan as a brand yeah and, and Nike began making commercials. Right. And man, It changed everything. Yeah. Like, everybody... Like, that Gatorade commercial is another... You know, when... when Mm -hmm. Like Mike, like you just said, that was... Everybody that played basketball wanted to be like Michael Jordan. Right. I mean, it was just... I mean, I didn't know anybody yeah. that didn't. All of a sudden, they start wearing the, the wristband right below the elbow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And oh, all, yeah. the ankle socks, like uh-huh. all of a sudden, people started wearing ankle socks, and shorts got a little bit longer. And then right. you started seeing colleges do it. Do it. And, of course, some of them took it to extreme. With shorts the, got too long. My, Arkansas <laughs> in 95, they had below the knee. You couldn't even see the knee at all. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, his impact on sports in general, right. and you couple that with – you know, he, he was the first one that really, I mean, he signed with McDonald's. Right. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. now now you've got this athlete not pro, not promoting sports stuff, right. but just... He's just a celebrity at this point. Yeah, he's just a celebrity. And anything he slapped his name on became right. the thing that, like, I didn't even like McDonald's. Right. But Michael Jordan told me to eat McDonald's. I'm going, can, eat I, I, can I get a Big Mac, Dad? And and obviously, mom. he doesn't eat it, but, you know, whatever. Right, yeah. <laughs> I'm like, can we go to McDonald's? I want some chicken nuggets. And Michael right. Jordan said, you know... This will make me like Mike. Yeah, this will make me like Mike. I, I want to do it. Yeah. And so that impact by Jordan was huge. And what's crazy is to this day, yeah, Jordan Brand is one of the the largest oh. brands of sports apparel in the world. Yeah. You know, he hadn't played since two thousand three. Mm-hmm. Twenty years later, his brand is still the largest brand. Our boy Luca signed with him. Yes. Absolutely. Uh, so someone
0: who wanted to be like Mike and uh, kind of succeeded <laughs> yeah. is uh, Kobe Bryant. Oh, talk like him, played oh, yeah. like him. Yeah. If you watch these videos, there's videos on YouTube where yeah. you can see these dudes like Jordan on the left, yeah, Brian on the right,
1: and, and they have the exact same moves. Yeah. Like he studied Jordan. Oh, there's he no question. Uh, he graduated, uh, So Kobe graduated from high school the same year I did. And so... The, the impact that Jordan had on me, he was having on Kobe. Yeah. Kobe just had the ability uh, to be Kobe Bryant. You know what I mean? <laughs> right. Like, I was a six-foot white guy. No matter how much I wanted to be like Mike, it wasn't going to happen. Right. Kobe had the ability to do it. Yeah. And he did. Yeah. Yeah. That's what's
0: crazy. In the genetics. Drafted in 1996 to the Los Angeles Lakers. Uh, Kobe was an exceptional talent, guys. Like, oh he, he wasn't just this mimic of Mike. He was. He was amazing. Yeah. Uh, Now, though he and Jordan had almost identical styles of play, Kobe became known for something much different. He became known for what is called a Mamba mentality. People called him the Black Mamba, Yep. right? And the Mamba mentality, according to his book review interview uh, with Amazon Books, he said Mamba mentality is about focusing on the process and trusting in the hard work when it matters first. Mm -hmm. So Kobe Bryant was like this pillar of hard work. Like you yeah. look at him and you're like, hard work gets you somewhere. Yeah. And so especially the black community looks at him and says, Hard work gets you somewhere. Yeah. Now, as a diehard Dallas Maverick fan, growing up I disliked Kobe oh, yeah. quite a bit. Yeah, like he just he, killed he killed he, us all the time. He was a Maverick killer. And I mean was it was, was, it was mostly code. like envious hate. Oh, I, you know yeah, what I mean. No, it's like I, I no hate you because you beat him. my team it all just, the time. <laughs> yes, and he was all like, he's he was lucky because he was so good. Yep. Yeah, oh, uh it. the dude was a cheat code. And, yeah. and since I was too young to enjoy Jordan's prime, even though I wouldn't admit it, watching Kobe was kind of yeah. fun for me because it was surreal. I mean, seeing that kind yeah. of level of skill and just taking over a game. And, yeah, he he built his brand off of hard work, and and his mentality was always to outwork his opponent. Uh, mm-hmm. and I, I saw some interviews of, of, you know, legends in the game talking about Coach Brian. They're like, yeah, he was in there. He was in the gym two hours before I got there yep. and he would not leave that gym until I left. Right. It could be
1: three hours later. Yeah. He was going to be the first one there and the last one to leave. And he would be the last one to leave. He would not be outworked by anybody. Yeah. And, uh, and if you were going to play with him or be his teammate or on his oh, level, yeah. he was going to push you to that same work ethic.
0: Yeah, yeah, he had that expectation for you. Right. Now, let's think about the message that this sends to the African-American community. Mm -hmm. From the inception of the country, black people were treated horribly, and many lived in a reality where they have to work twice as hard to get half of what you and I could get. Yeah. They had to be twice as good, right? And so black people are seeing this, and they say, Kobe Bryant's amazing. What's he crediting it to? Hard work. Right. He's saying that I'm going to outwork them. Like, my right. work ethic will never be outdone.
1: Right. And that was true for him. And I and I think what's interesting about him and Jordan, him and Jordan worked just as hard. Like, oh, yeah. The, yeah. Michael Jordan worked just as hard as Kobe Bryant. Right. But the narrative of Jordan yeah. was how gifted he was. Right. That was the narrative of Jordan. Right. Even though Jordan, first one there, last one to oh, leave. Yeah. All the stories came out later about his work oh, ethic. Yeah. But at the time, it was... Just this gifted athlete yeah. that he was, Kobe. But, jo- but
0: Jordan also didn't have a bunch of interviews where he was like, "I'm just going to outwork you." Right, I'm going to like, yes. And it we, was more of like, "I'm just going to do that, and I'm going to show you with right. my game." Yeah. <laughs>
1: but, but and and I think the reason why the mama mentality and, and packaging that everything that way worked was because of the eras they were in. Kobe. Yeah. Yeah, Kobe yeah. reached his prime mm-hmm. in the social media internet age where. Yeah. You, you could people could walk into his workouts and video him on a phone right and then post that on the internet and then we got to see Kobe you know busting his tail and right. doing doing yeah, his yeah. work and so that the the ability to see that and for mm. him to be able to control the narrative like Kobe decided this is what I want to be known for right I want to be known for hard work and being able to to accomplish what I want to accomplish when I want to accomplish it, because I've laid that foundation of hard work down now. And and what's crazy is the impact that that phrase Mamba mentality oh, yeah, yeah. has, has had, oh, I mean, yeah. I've heard junior high kids, high school kids mm-hmm. in practice, somebody does something, you know, phenomenal or, or mm-hmm. busts their tail dives on the floor and saves a loose ball. And someone will say Mamba mentality. Yep. And, so the impact of that kind of hard work yeah. goes beyond the phrase to a level of encouragement for people to be right. like, and especially in the black community, for people to be like, man, if I put forth the effort, yeah. good things will happen. Right. You know, I can accomplish goals and achieve things if I'm willing to, to go to Mamba mentality mode, Kobe right. mode, you know?
0: And, and so, so many black people are seeing this, he becomes a hero. Probably. Right, yeah. Like he's a hero yeah. in the culture. And of course, uh,
1: unfortunately, we lost him in 2020. You know, in due 2020. a helicopter accident. But was, um, uh, his legacy will live on forever. Oh, absolutely. In basketball, forever. Yeah.
0: And another guy that uh, his legacy will live on forever yeah. is LeBron James. LeBron James, LeBron James. LeBron James. Now, regardless of how you feel about him on the court, uh, because, you know, I have my beefs
1: with him on the court. Yeah, Tyler and I have very different uh, uh, <laughs> opinions on Le- LeBron James. I. As, as a, a person, I think as he's a great. But uh, player. yeah, as a, basketball as a player.
0: yeah, as a basketball player, I'm I'm frustrated with him, uh, or even politically, if if you disagree there, which you might. Uh, sure. LeBron James is one of the most influential African Americans in culture today in the world, and yeah, absolutely. Just and he world. uses his influence to positively impact communities. Yep. He uses his fame, his power, his money, and resources to carry out a ton of charity missions. Uh, that especially impact disenfranchised communities yeah. like like where he came from. Like nobody before. Like nobody before. No. Other people have done it, but not like LeBron. Yeah. So so all of these guys, you know, Co- Michael Jordan, Kobe, and LeBron, they're all kind of known for different things. Right. This is what he's known for is yeah. making the impact in charity and and uh, just his even social justice and yep. just a lot of things. So one of the Lakers Ford's greatest projects is his funding of the, I promise school yep. in Akron, Ohio, where he was brought up. Right. Uh, back yeah. when he played for the Miami heat, which is when Neil loved him. And I love no, that's I- when I cheered against him. Yeah. Only time I really cheered against him, was bro. He's he a Laker. Now you can't cheer for okay. him right now. Okay. Okay. I'm sorry. Uh, but,
1: <laughs> Unless the, he plays the man, initiative
0: to improve the schooling situation for children in his own town. Uh, so this developed into supporting the new school that hopes to teach grades one to eight by 2022.
1: Yeah, right. Yeah, it's gonna they're they're just gonna add grades to it you know, perpetually and grow the school and grow the school. He funded the whole thing. He gathered up all the money. He has promised through his own um, charitable organizations that if any of these kids that attend the I promise school graduate from high school, they will get a a free uh, full ride to go to college. It's amazing
0: that, that they will pay for it all. Yeah. He's he's I mean he's incredible with uh, those kind of things and uh, he is uh, also a major contributor to one on one in the children's defun defense fund mm-hmm. uh, both who provide food water care and education to children in America and abroad yep. so he's making an impact globally yeah it's it's not just you know in America oh, yeah. it's not just in his neighborhood yeah
1: he's making an impact globally. and and what's interesting is. You know what? What came first, the chicken or the egg, or the you know, yeah. car before the horse, or uh-huh. all that kind of stuff. But right around the time like LeBron started on the scene, yeah, the um the NBA created NBA Cares, mm-hmm. NBA Without Borders. Oh yeah, yeah. And um, I don't think it's a coincidence that they knew we've got a leader that's doing these things where, right. so when we create these little side projects right. for the NBA, we've got a guy who will step up and say, this is good. We need to do this. Let's get on board. Right. And that's impacted the whole NBA. I yeah. mean, the, I can't, I mean, I grew up watching the NBA since I was in 1986. So since yeah. I was eight years old, I've watched the NBA. Right. No, I mean, people did things. Right. No question well, course, to help yeah, communities yeah. and stuff, yeah. but LeBron took it to a new level. Right. He has changed the way now everybody now now the, all the all the great players in the NBA have all their own charitable organizations. Oh yeah, they start their own. Yeah, Dirk has one. Uh-huh. They, they they start their own and then they're impacting the world all over the place. And I think we can point the finger at LeBron and say LeBron's the one who who did this on a level that we had never seen it before. Right. Would we have an NBA cares without LeBron? Right. Yeah, I mean, it's just to that level. Yeah, I mean, yeah. and he's donated so much money. Yeah, he's uh, I mean, so in
0: 2016, the he he actually donated 2.5 million to the Smithsonian National Museum yeah. of African American History
1: and Culture. I read somewhere that a total to- that he has in total given upwards of close to 60 million dollars of his own money. Yeah, and yeah. and that is just what we know.
0: Yeah, that's just what we know. Like, no telling what he does. Right. You know, outside of that. And and I, so, can, I can hear,
1: Well, you know, he makes a hundred million dollars. It's not a big deal. We should, you know, listen, $60 million is a lot, even if you make a hundred million. And he doesn't <laughs> have to give any of it. Right. He could just keep it all. Yeah. But the fact that he wants to give yeah. and that he gives millions right. to help other people is a huge, huge thing yeah. um, that we should celebrate. Absolutely. And and he puts
0: his money where his mouth is. You know, there was a thing where shut up and dribble, right?
1: Like that that happened with him. He was the one. Laura Ingram was ticked off because LeBron was doing social justice stuff. Right. And she said he should just shut up and dribble. Yeah. Um, Not only is that massively insulting. Oh, yeah. And I would argue racist, but it. it basically then says there's only a certain few people that should speak out about things. Right. And Laura Ingram thinks she's one of them. I was about to say, Laura Ingram um, thinks she's one. And yeah. I'm, I'm one of them, mm-hmm. and LeBron's not. Right. And that kind of attitude is um, pervasive sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm so thankful that guys like LeBron say, no. No. Yeah, I'm, a, <laughs> I'm, I'm gonna do what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna dribble and I'm also I'm not more powerful shut up. <laughs> than you are, yeah. and I'm gonna do what I'm gonna do. Absolutely. Um and that's a trope that that people like to use when they disagree with you and they want you to shut up. Right. You can disagree with LeBron, yeah. but you ought to fight for his right. To say what he has to say, yeah. and to do what he wants to do, um, yeah. because that's kind of what our country is built upon. Yeah. And it's almost uh,
0: like identity politics—like you shouldn't speak on this thing because you're not, you know, this right. or this. And yeah. you're like
1: you don't even believe that. Right. You don't believe in identity right.
0: politics like that. So,
1: so his his impact is huge, and I don't agree with everything he says, no. but I'm certainly going to um, applaud him where yeah. um, where he needs to be celebrated. Colin Kaepernick, move on. Let me get off. <laughs> let me get off of that, man, because I'm gonna. I'm gonna. Yeah, I got you. Take me
0: off. Uh, so we're gonna move on to the NFL. So Colin Kaepernick, uh, we did a whole episode last year about Colin Kaepernick and his kneeling protest, and uh, so we're not gonna get deep into that today. Uh, we have a full, literally a full episode on Colin Kaepernick. Right, and, and you can kneeling.
1: go back and listen to it all.
0: And so we are not ashamed of anything we said there. We're gonna, you know, echo it here. Absolutely. Um, but at the same time, we we do want to move on and and go forward. So Colin represented, whether you agree with Colin or not, right? Right. When he knelt, he represented a group of people.
1: Oh, a huge group
0: of people. And I'm not saying he was representing all black people, but what I will say is that he represented many who felt like him. He, he was taking a knee during the national anthem, and this was to bring awareness that our country was not fully living up to the standards that we've set for ourselves. Mm-hmm. And uh, regardless of how you feel about him or the way he did it, there was a heart, and this is what we said in that episode, there was a heart behind his protest that, that resonated with oh, yeah. so many black people. Yeah. Right, and and their experiences. Yep, so many black people. It wasn't like black people were watching him kneel and being like, Why would he do that? Right. Like I, oh, yeah, about police. police? Yeah, Are you kidding me? Like, supported no, by the majority of black people, yeah. yeah sure. And so, it was uh, it was powerful. And and so, um, as a result, the NFL has taken notice, mm-hmm. they now have. Social justice messages on uniforms in the fields yep. and commercials, and yep. uh, the Super Bowl halftime show that we talked about earlier yep. uh, was a cultural display where many people felt represented and celebrated and seen for the first time. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm not sure that this would have happened if if there wasn't a Colin Kaepernick, if there wasn't yeah. someone who I agree did kneel and did you know say you know I, I am going to do something right. with this influence that I have. Right. Um, so. Speaking of the NFL, as I said, you know, there has been progress in the sense of um, more representation, mm-hmm. showing things, uh, but there's also some work to do in the NFL. Oh, yeah, and sure. so, according to New York Times article uh, by Jeremy Engel, the league has been confronted with these criticisms for decades. Oh, yeah. In 2002, Johnny Cochran, uh, who is the, the Glove o- Don't Fit glove you don't must fit quit. uh lawyer, released a dis- Disturbing report titled, Black Coaches in the National Football League, uh, Superior Performance and in Inferior Opportunities. It showed that over 15 years, uh, that black NFL coaches averaged more wins than white counterparts, but they had a harder time getting hired and more likely to get fired. Right. So they were kind of on a, <clears throat> they did not have an equal opportunity to to really form a team and shape it and, and coach it well right? because their, their fuse was so short. Yeah. Right. And have a lot of rope. So they, they would get fired real quick. So the NFL did what any large corporation with that kind of response to the news, uh, and, and they created a committee. Right. And, and this is to study the issue, offering the appearance of action to a public that was increasingly demanding it. So it's becoming more and more public that, Hey, we're not being treated Properly, yeah. right? Like coaches right. are, not and then NFL was getting, the getting the a huge backlash, right? So, <clears throat> headed by Dan Rooney, the owner and president of the Pittsburgh Steelers, the group released a set of recommendations, including the Rooney Rule, right? And we'll get back to the Rooney Rule in a second, but which was adopted by the team owners. Any club seeking to hire a head coach this is what the Rooney Rule was. Any club seeking to hire a head coach will interview one or more minority applicants for that position.
1: So right. they had to interview. They had to interview a minority. At least one. Yep. You couldn't you could not look for a position um as a head coach yep. and not interview a minority. Yep. You had to. So let's hold that thought because I'll get back to it. With uh, with the uh, the 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 purpose of giving getting more exposure to, to black coaches in front of, of people course. and giving them a legit shot uh, opportunity. at this position. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So we're, we're gonna hold
0: on to that because we'll get back to it right. Finding proof of a racial discrimination, it's not easy in, in any case, right? Um, right And not every allegation of racism is accurate or fair. Sure. And so the NFL, someone something as massive as the NFL has to take that seriously. I mean they, they right. can't just take every accusation and they can't take not any accusation. Right. They have to be yeah. balanced and fair. And so uh, but there are patterns in the NFL that that even the NFL, has pointed to— Yeah, they've admitted themselves. Um, —that are problematic. And, and so, in academic analysis commissioned by the NFL—
1: now, now, let, me, let me just stop. Commissioned by the NFL. Right. This isn't something that, that you can read about what somebody else said about the NFL. This is the NFL commissioning an analysis coming to the conclusion. This is the NFL talking about the NFL. Right. That's important. And they
0: confirmed that black coaches were less likely to receive second chances. Yep. So in the NFL, uh, the Atlantic's uh, Jamel Hill, she recently wrote, black coaches are uh, expected to perform miracles quickly, and when
1: they don't, it usually costs them their job. Right. And that that was the finding of Cochran as well. Right. right? That they have a very short leash, Mm -hmm. and that when they mess up, they don't get a second chance. Right. Um,
0: and if you've ever coached a team, which I know you coach a basketball team, it takes a while. Oh, it takes to build time. a culture to, culture, to build chemistry. Chemistry and absolutely. To, to change things that they've been doing for so long absolutely. and stuff. So like coaching is a it's a you know, you fail, you you succeed. Yeah. Like it you gotta kinda right. and so you you're kind of set up for failure if you yeah, if, have if, such a short leash. Yeah, absolutely. Um and so <clears throat> Teams also have been reluctant to hire black coaches as offensive coordinators, mm-hmm. and and the reason that's significant is because offensive coordinator positions usually lead into head coach positions. Yes. Right? Yeah. So it, that is the one – like if you're an offensive coordinator and you right. do well, yep. chances are you have a head coach job in the NFL right. next year. Yeah, it, like that's kind of
1: the, the channel – that kind of feeds up to the head coaching jobs are the yeah. defensive and offensive coordinators. If you're on the corporate ladder, that's the next step yeah. to get to Yeah, I mean, know. if you look at, at the majority of head coaches in the NFL, all of them at one time were probably an offensive or defensive coordinator right. at some point. Yeah. So if you're not hiring minorities to be offensive defensive coordinators, then you're probably not going to have minorities being head coaches because that one it feeds into the next, right? It's the next step up right. on the ladder. And, and
0: another finding they found is even when black coordinators, offensive coordinators succeed in those jobs, they're still passed over yep. most of the time for white candidates F- with yep. weaker resumes. Right. So again, this is the NFL saying this about the NFL. Right. Uh, in the last year's Super Bowl, this is a great, great point. Both offensive coordinators, Eric Bieniemy of the Kansas City Chiefs and Byron Leftwich of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, both black, both black. Neither has become a head coach, even as fourteen teams. Fourteen out of thirty-two have hired coaches since
1: the end of the last season. Right. And and what was interesting is that when you watch last year's Super Bowl and and you listen to what the commentators have to say about Eric Bienamy and Byron Leftwich, I mean just raving about oh, yeah. these guys. Oh yeah. Raving about um Eric Bienamy was a running back for Michigan, mm-hmm. Byron Leftwich was quarterback for Marshall. Um, but again, they're still waiting on their their chance to be a head coach, even though they have succeeded at being an offensive coordinator as well as you can succeed. Take your team to the Super Bowl. Right. So back to the Rooney Rule, because uh, this is a s- currently
0: going on, yeah. actually.
1: Yeah, this, uh, this issue right now.
0: Brian Flores, who was hired uh, – I'm sorry, fired as a coach of the Miami Dolphins. Right. He was rejected for new
1: jobs with other clubs. Well, what's crazy and- is he was fired after three years – Two years he had a winning record. Right. So if you have a winning record in the in the NFL, that's a big deal. He had two years as a winning record, yeah. and and out of three, and then he was fired. Yeah. That alone caused people to raise an eyebrow and be like, "Wait, wait, wait. Why is he getting fired?" Right. Yep. And and so
0: his firing, uh, his his he Flores got the, fired. He got fired, and now he's looking to get hired run right. another job. But now actually he's kind of on a warpath right now and and should be because uh he got a text message from uh, New England New England Patriots coach Bill Belichick yep. who's very well known. Sure. Um, and Belichick appears to congratulate Flores for winning the Giants job. Yeah, congratulations
1: now, Brian on on yeah. becoming the head coach of the new, the, new, the next head coach of the New York Giants. Now here's the issue. He is not interviewed for the Giants' job yet. Right. That was,
0: that was happening. He was the was Rooney Rule applicant. He was the Rooney Rule applicant. And uh, Belichick meant that for Brian DeBall, right. who interviewed before
1: Flores' scheduled meeting. Right. And so... Um, so what that means is that somebody in the Giants' organization... They already picked. Told Bill Belichick... And DeBall is a white man. Yeah. Told way. Bill Belichick, this is, this is the guy we're hiring before they obeyed the Rooney rule and right. interviewed Brian Flores. Yeah. The way it's supposed to work is you interview Brian Flores, you give him a legit opportunity, right, at this job, right, and then you hire the best candidate. Mm-hmm. But what they did is they hired the guy that they already wanted and then they brought in Brian, they were going to bring in Brian Flores just as a token interview. And not really to give him... A shot. A shot. And yeah. and, and and this is important because when, when the Rooney Rule was put into play, it wasn't there to just have a token black person get interviewed. Right. Okay? Yeah, absolutely. It was there so that the heart of the rule would be followed, which is to get candidates, black yeah. candidates, who are worthy of these jobs in front of people right. for interviews. Right. And so, when you have an organization like the Giants who are only using the Rooney Rule as a token Mm -hmm. for bringing in a black person, so they can say we brought in a black person, um, that is massively problematic. And we never would have known this if Belichick hadn't texted the wrong person. A silly Belichick, man. He did. And now, now Rooney. I mean, now uh, Flores is. Pursuing them. Yeah, and he's in, suing, in and, and, and yeah, he's on he's, he's like you said, he's on a war
0: path now. And he said, I may be risking coaching the game that I love and that has done so much for my family and me, but my sincere hope is that by standing up against systemic racism in the NFL, others will join me to ensure that positive change is made for generations right. to come. And so um, something I think about is, is you know, you said it earlier. You said it was like a gentleman's agreement. Yeah. Right? Right. Right. Um, so just like you said, you know, the gentleman's agreement changing doesn't necessarily change the heart of it. And so that right. could still exist within systems of the NFL. Right. Right. Yeah. And so w- when I think of that and I think of what you just said about the heart of it, it's... Man, it it has gospel implications. Yeah. You know, like, I, I mean, it is so important that that you don't just change the the rule on paper or the or whatever way that it else. looks like it is all about no we need we need to get to the heart of this we need to get right. to the heart of why this is wrong why this needs to be changed
1: right and um this isn't just for looks right this is about human beings yeah this isn't just about the optics of the way things look it's no. about legit trying to change your organization um for the better and to bring justice it's not a- about following the law no, as, as yeah, say. I yeah. mean, yeah, I mean, it's you, you about, can you can follow the law and not the heart of the law, right? Right? They were going to bring in Brian Flores and follow the Rooney rule, the rule right. but not the heart of the Rooney rule because they already decided um, that they weren't going to hire him, right? And so, you know, I think ending this the way that we have ended it, and and of course, we've we've we have said through all of this that we wanted this to be a celebration, a celebration of. <laughs> of what has been accomplished by African-Americans in music and television and and movies and sports and and why racial diversity and representation is so important, why why it is a fruit of the gospel, why the gospel speaks directly to why we should be for this. Mm -hmm. And so I think it's vitally important for us to say, we are so thankful for the steps that we have made so that things are better. hundred percent. I'm glad that things are better. That doesn't mean we, we just kick back, throw up our hands and say, things are better. Let's not talk about this anymore. Right. Let's not bring this up anymore. Where there's still injustice and where yeah. there's still room to get better, yeah. we as Christians should still push for that. Yeah. Right? We as Christians should, should still be for making sure that that there is a level playing ground. Yeah. And that people um, of all races are being treated fairly and equally in all of their opportunities so that we get the beauty of diversity. Yeah. If we going back to our very first podcast in this series, mm-hmm. if we believe that it is beautiful to have diversity and representation, then we should never settle for just this subpar version of it. Amen. We should always push for the pinnacle of that representation and and diversity because it is beautiful. Yeah. It will be what the new earth is, and so we want to push to that end. So we're thankful, and we celebrate all those that have come before and the, the, those that are doing it now, yeah. and we say thank you for what you have done. Thank you for how you've impacted the nation and the games that you love. But we want to link arms with you now to, to continue to say we let's keep pushing forward where yeah. we see the the issues still around. Yeah. And, um, I like,
0: the, I like the way you said that link arms with you. Yeah. Like, it's not like this like violent approach of, or like anger or anything like that. It's right. like, yo, we, we just want to, we just want things unite. to continue. We want to unite. We want to keep to be growing. Better. And, um, you know, I know you and I, we, we talk about a lot on this podcast and some of it's very negative negative. Right. and it's, it, you know, takes a toll on us sometimes. Yeah, like when sure. we're talking about it in our office, like we, or we get we get funny emails riled and stuff. up and we get funny. Yeah. Sound. Yeah. But, um, <clears throat> we do notice that, you know, there, there's been a lot of change and that mm-hmm. you know, we, we praise God for that. And Absolutely. we are praying for that constantly. Like we don't yeah. want to do
1: negative. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, but just, just take it with anything. I mean, take it with right. anything. Let, let's say you're trying to lose weight and you, let's say that you're, you're like, man, okay, I need to lose 200 pounds. I am, I'm way overweight. And so, so let's say you lose 150 pounds and then you say, man, I look at how much better things are. Look how much, you know, how much I've done, man, isn't that so great now I'm just going to stop because I've done good. And you're like, "Well, well, no, wait a minute. 200 was the goal. Yep. You keep pushing, right. or let's say that I that I say, you know, Lord, I'm I'm way more sanctified than I was when I first got saved. So I'm I just should stop just right here. stop being <laughs> sanctified. No, you keep pushing, yeah, continuously until Jesus comes back. And and the truth is, if you don't
0: keep pushing, you go backwards. You go backwards. You're absolutely. Right? Like you can't just stay in one spot. Like if, absolutely. if you're
1: not still working towards your health or whatever else, yeah, you will go. You're going to go backwards. Yeah. Any, anything in life that is worth pursuing. Yeah. You're either getting better, or you're getting worse, right. right? There, there is no stagnation. There's no. There's an illusion of staying the same right. for a but little it's, bit, n- but it's it doesn't not last long. Yeah, and, it, it's, and it's yeah, it's just blinded. So we we want to continue to do that. We're thankful for how far we have come, and we want to continue to see um, this beautiful, beautiful diversity yeah. and representation just continue to flourish yeah. um, in the whole world because we know when Jesus comes back is going to for sure. So thank you for joining us today. Thank you for being with us like subscribe follow us on all of our socials we uh, we want to hear from you if i mean we we get testimonies from people that have said this is impactful so we want to hear from you so please reach out on all of those uh different ways and um be a part of the conversation as we continue forward and we will hear from you next time peace